Thank you very much indeed. Thank you, Neil. Hi, if you've got a Bible, if you'd like to turn to Luke 7, I'm going to read from verses 21 to 23. And it should come up on the screen behind me if you don't have a Bible. A little bit of context before we read this. The context is this, that John the Baptist, he's in prison. And what he does is he sends two of his followers to go to Jesus and ask him to confirm his identity, to confirm who he really is. And we pick this up in verse 21. Luke 7, 21 to 23. At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, John's followers, he replied to them, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Well, before uh, we dig into the passage, I I do have a couple of confessions to make, uh, if that's okay. The first one is that I haven't fasted today, and... uh, I am so grateful to Rich Horn's preach on Sunday on grace and the need for grace in the church. But there's another reason, actually, why I haven't fasted today. Well, if I'm honest, there are two reasons. The first is I fasted yesterday. Thought I could get away with that. And the second is it's my birthday today. I know that could be construed as a cheap plug, but actually I like birthdays. I like birthdays, and I like birthdays because my lovely wife, Catherine, she always asks me the same two questions. She always asks me, what would you like for your birthday? That's a gift-orientated thing. I like that. And then she says, what would you like to do for your birthday? And so the great thing about birthdays is you get to choose what you want to do, And you get to avoid the things that you don't like, like the washing up. Thank you very much. But I've learned over the years, as I've listened to many, many sermons from many preachers on this platform, I've I've learned a few likes and dislikes that have been articulated from this platform. The first dislike is that Neil doesn't like sprouts. He doesn't like sprouts. He believes that sprouts are are as a result of the fall. Now, that's not, if you're American, that's not autumn. He just believes that when sin came into the world, so did sprouts. I've learned that John, John Harbour, he doesn't like salad or mushrooms. And he considers that potatoes are one or two or three of his five fruit and veg a day. Now, personally... If I share my heart, I, if you ever invite me around, I don't like pickled beetroot. I think, I think it's just simply because that's what we had for school dinners, and it brings back bad memories. But, you know, they're personal preferences. The really big question is, what are Jesus's likes and dislikes? 
And how closely do our likes and dislikes line up with his? Well, I think the Bible really helps. And I think the Bible makes it very, very clear what Jesus likes and what he doesn't like. 38% of all the verses in the four Gospels relate to the same thing. They all have one thing in common. They all relate specifically to Jesus' healing works. That's way more than any preaching or teaching about prayer, about morality, about lifestyle, money, or sex. You see, the attention given in the Gospels to the healing ministry of Jesus far ways outweighs any other activity that Jesus did. And I'd suggest that if that's the case, then what the Holy Spirit wants to underline is there's something very important in this, something that the Holy Spirit wants us to grasp as a church. I have to, be, have to say I've really been struck by some wonderful healings that we've experienced in the church over the last 12 months. We've shared a number of these on Sunday mornings from this platform with you, and I just want to remind you of one and then update you with another. And the first one goes back to January. And back in January, uh, we did a series, short series on the Holy Spirit. And at the end of the meetings, there's an opportunity to come forward and to receive gifts or receive something from the Holy Spirit. And after one meeting in this series, a man called Paul Bundock, and he shared this with us, he came up uh, to receive prayer. Now, the reason Paul came forward to receive prayer was at that time, he was in a lot of distress and a lot of pain. And the reason was that he had so much pain in one of his feet that he couldn't sleep. Pain relief was useless. He just couldn't get comfortable. He was in agony. And he received prayer. And the prayer was like the prayers we're going to pray tonight. The prayer was this, that he would be healed in the mighty name of Jesus. And I saw him the week after. I was leading a meeting, actually, on Sunday morning. And Paul came up to me. And I said to Paul, I said, how's the foot? How's the foot? And he said, you never guess what. Now, I love it when people say that, particularly about healing. You never guess what. Because actually, you can nearly always guess what's coming next. You never guess what. He said, actually, after he prayed for that Sunday, that Sunday morning, all the pain left. Never came back. It went instantly. In fact, so much so, he came off the painkillers and he played squash for the first time in weeks the following week and experienced no side effects. What do I love? What do I like? I love healing. I absolutely love it. It brings so much joy. When people are healed, you can see it in their faces. You can see the delight. You can see the relief. You can see the release. Love it. A few weeks later, another Sunday morning, there's a prophetic word from the microphone down here. It's a word of knowledge. Now, if you don't know what words of knowledge are, then uh, have a word with me later. There was a word of knowledge. And the word of knowledge is very specific. The word of knowledge was this, that there's somebody here that's suffering pain on one side of their ribs and you've been suffering it for some time, and God wants to heal you today. So at the end of the meeting, someone, a visitor came over to the welcome area, 
And they didn't understand this whole sort of word of knowledge thing. And they said, well, actually, why, why, why was that word of knowledge given about pain in the ribcage? And there was someone on the welcome team that has explained that actually sometimes we get these words and they're keys for healing. And so this man said, was open for healing. I don't think he was very expectant. And so he's prayed for in the name of Jesus that he'd be healed a few weeks later. That person who was in the welcome team went up to him again and they said, um, oh, by the way, how are your ribs? He said, you never guess what. You never guess what. From that Sunday, from the moment I was prayed for, all the pain had gone. Now, this, this man had been suffering from pain for weeks and it kept him up at night. Gone in an instant after he'd been prayed for. You know, healing, it's so precious. It's so wonderful. But what does the New Testament have to say about it? Why is there so much emphasis on Jesus and his healing of the sick? Well, I'd like to suggest that one reason is healing is so important to Jesus. Healing is so important to Jesus. And the sheer volume of what's written about healing and Jesus in the Gospels underline this. So if we go back to Luke 7 that we we read just a moment ago, in essence, what Jesus is being asked is, who are you? Who are you? Tell us who you really are. And I think his response is fascinating because he doesn't answer the question. What he says is he directs them to what they have seen and experienced. He directs them to what he has done. And this is what he says. He says, the blind see, the lame walk, the deaf hear. Why does he do that? Why doesn't he answer the question directly? Because what Jesus did confirmed who he really was. In other words, Jesus healing was pivotal in confirming his identity as the Son of God, in his identity as the Messiah. Now, in case you have any doubt, the Old Testament helps us out here. And the second book of the Old Testament is Exodus. And in Exodus 15, verse 26, the Israelites are having a bit of a grumble. And the reason they're having a grumble is they're in the desert and there's no water to drink. And what happens is they grumble. And then the Lord does a miracle. He turns the bitter waters that they can't drink into drinkable waters. And after he's done that, he announces a name, his name to the Israelites. And he announces that his name is Jehovah Rapha. Jehovah Rapha. And that means this. That means I am the God who heals you. Or other commentators say, actually, it can be better translated as, I am the Lord who forever is the healer. Healing. It's his name. It's his nature. That's why when Jesus is asked, who are you? He replies by pointing to the healings that he has done to confirm the nature of his true identity. In effect, he is saying, I and Jehovah Rapha. I am the God who heals. Now, the word Rapha is an interesting one. It's nothing to do with tennis players, by the way, or 
the ex-Liverpool football manager, nothing to do with that. Rafa means to make whole or to restore something or to restore something to its original and proper state. It means to repair. Now, if I, and I won't, if I drop this glass onto the floor and it shattered into lots of little pieces and I picked it up and I got every piece and I pieced it back together and I glued it all together, I would be raffaing the glass. I would be restoring and making whole and returning to its original condition as best I could that glass. It's not a word that's limited to physical healing. It encompasses physical healing. We see that from Jesus' ministry. But it's much, much more than that. God's healing, or raffaing, is about God's complete rescue of the whole of us. About the complete rescue of our body, of our soul, of our mind, of our will, of our emotions, and of our thinking. That is what God is looking to rescue and restore. Which is why God heals not just our bodies, but our emotions too. We mustn't restrict healing simply to the body. It's concerned with the restoration about everything, including our broken relationship with Him. When it says in Isaiah 53 verse 5, it says this, By his wounds we are healed. What it is really saying is by his wounds we are raffered. We are restored. We are put back together. And that's everything is to be restored. Fully restored. Restored back to our condition before the fall. Before sin entered the world in the Garden of Eden. It's why I think sometimes the Lord takes delight in healing us, each individually and in a different order. Sometimes he heals the body first. Sometimes he heals our emotions first. Sometimes he saves us and draws us into relationship with him first. There's no formula here. Why? Because healing, restoration, it's of the whole of us. And the Lord can choose which order and when he does that. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who is forever the healing, the healer. So healing is important because it reveals the true identity of Jesus as the Son of God. But why else? Why else is healing so essential to the account of Jesus in the New Testament? Well, in Mark, in the first chapter of Mark, in the Gospel of Mark, outlines the early years of Jesus' life, and it goes through his baptism. It goes through his temptation in the desert. And then it goes to his first preach. So the first ever preach that we hear in Mark's gospel is this. It's in verse 15. Jesus preached this in Galilee. He said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. That's Jesus' first ever preach in Mark's gospel. Now, I think the response is fascinating. That's verse 15. In verse 16, he walks by the Sea of Galilee. And Mark's gospel doesn't record that he walks with anybody else. And it appears, after that first preach, he walked alone. No crowds, no hordes, 
Jesus. But then the next thing he does is he heals a man of an evil spirit. Then the next thing he does is he heals Peter's mother-in-law. Then the next thing that happens is in Mark's account that the whole town gathers at the door of the house where he is and he heals everybody. So if we fast forward to the end of the chapter, what's the situation then? After Jesus has started his healing ministry, it says this in verse 45, as a result, that's of Jesus healing, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. After he healed, he was inundated. He found it hard to find space. The crowds did not follow Jesus when the only thing he did was preach. No, the crowds followed him when he healed and preached together. Now, why? Why is that? Well, how many of us like being sick? I mean, really, I don't. And I don't like other people being sick either. I have a friend who is in hospital. He's in hospital right now, and he's a, one of my closest friends from university. And I went to visit him in hospital last week. And I've been texting him every day to see how he is. And when he responds to my texts, he always responds with exactly the same thing. He always responds with what he wants. And what he's told me is he wants to get out of hospital, he wants to get back home, and he wants to get well. Always the same three things. All the texts are about that. Why? Because there's a yearning in each one of us. In each one of us, there's a yearning to be well. And I think sickness, it's like an affront. It's like, a, like an insult to our well-being. It's like a sign that something is seriously wrong. And of course, it is. I really dislike sickness. And guess what? In healing, we find that God has the same yearnings as us. God has the same desire for our liberation. God has the same passion for us to be set free. Back to Luke 7. Jesus is responding to John the Baptist's disciples, and he points to his healing works. Why else does he do that? Why else does he avoid the question and point to what they have experienced and seen through his healing? Well, I believe it's because of this. The failure to experience him, to experience the healing power of Jesus risks diluting the gospel from good news to merely good advice. Failure to experience the healing power of Jesus risks diluting the gospel from good news merely to good advice. Church, the world is not looking for advice. The world has enough advice. It has Jeremy Kyle. It has Oprah Winfrey. It's got Russell Brandt. It's got Polly Toynbee. It's got good housekeeping. It's got Cosmopolitan. It's got the Daily Mail. The world is not short of advice. But it is short of one thing. It's short of really good news. It is short of the good news of the gospel, a gospel that heals and restores 
everything. A gospel that restores our bodies and our minds and our hearts and our hurts and our spirits. That is what the world is lacking. They are lacking a gospel that brings peace. A peace that can be experienced. A peace that lasts. A peace that can be enjoyed. That is what the world is lacking. It's lacking a gospel that is so glorious that it can be experienced in person and not heard just in words. Why is it? Why is it that New Day? Why is it when we baptize our young people, they talk about New Day as being pivotal in their experience? Why is it at New Day, traditionally, with a healing evening, when there's an opportunity for the Lord to heal, why is it that more people are saved on that evening than any other? It's simple. It's because the power and love and joy and healing of the Holy Spirit are experienced personally. And suddenly, the gospel comes alive. It's the encounter with God's healing and with God's power and God's love elevates the gospel from being just a wise set of words to something wonderfully personal. Healing transforms the gospel from merely good advice to really good news. So what about us? To finish, how should we respond as a church? Well, we're already seeing it, but I would expect for us to see more healing. Pauline Jagger at the start of this, she prophesied that this year we would see more healing. I think we should expect it. I think we should crave for more healing. But is everyone healed? Are all the sick healed? Oh, that that were the case, I wish. In Galatians 4, the Apostle Paul, he writes that he preached the gospel to the Galatians because of sickness. In other words, the only reason he was there was because he was ill. And he had a friend, and his friend was called Trophimus. And he had to leave that friend sick in Miletus. It's 2 Timothy 4.20. Now let's note what Paul doesn't do in both instances. He doesn't rebuke either himself or Trophimus for being sick or remaining sick He doesn't. He doesn't do that. And actually, Paul was a good rebuker. (laughs) He even rebuked the Galatians. You foolish Galatians, he said, when when they rejected the gospel and replaced it. Some of us are sick. Why? We don't know. Why are some sick and others healed? We don't know. Because we're in the same predicament as Paul. One thing I do know, though, is if we're sick, it isn't because God doesn't love us. It isn't because God has abandoned us. It isn't because God doesn't care. Why? He's Jehovah Rapha. Of course he cares. He's interested in the whole person. But as a church, I passionately believe that we must embrace one very important point when it comes to sickness. And what we must embrace is this. There is mystery in healing. There's mystery in healing. In other words, it's too big to understand. Smith Wigglesworth, 
Look him up. He was a man that God used to heal many, many people in the 18th and the 19th century. He saw cancers healed, and he saw the dead raised to life. But in spite of everything that he'd seen, he said this about healing. He said, he who can explain divine healing can explain God. What's he saying? There's a mystery to healing. Sometimes we just don't know. And sometimes we have to give up the right to understand. One of the biggest DIY stores, uh, chains in the UK, is Wix. They've got a big outlet on London Road. For quite a few years, they've run this consistent advertising campaign. And their advertising campaign goes like this. Wix, it's got our name on it. Wix, it's got our name on it. Now, why do they say that over and over again? They say that because the point is this. The point is that a name has connotations. A name provides you with the ability to identify with somebody and some or something and identify with their values. And what they're trying to say is, our name is dependable. That's what they're trying to say. You can trust us. It's the same with healing. Jehovah Rapha. Healing. It has Jesus' name all over it. And to experience healing is to experience Jesus himself.